I would say one week self. I would not focus on trying to learn a bunch of different lenders and programs. I would pick kind of your go-to, like a lender, like your go-to bank, your go-to monoline, and then an alternative option. And just like really have the knowledge of those products. And then from there, just focus on, you know, your scripting and making your calls, practicing with other agents, your family, whatever it might be, just getting kind of dialed into that language. A lot like what Steve was saying and really focusing on that. Like I started taking a lot of notes and saying, okay, well, in the call, this went well, or I said this and like totally lost the client. You could tell and just kind of noticing those things. Once I focused on that, my results got so much better. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Welcome to the Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast. Thanks for Brandon Love. Brandon has been a mortgage broker for 356 days. He joined us a year ago at Brokerage, and guy's amazing. So he started out as a farmer, working full-time, 50 to 60 hours a week trying to build his mortgage business and decided in December, so a few months later, that he wanted to go full in on mortgages. And it took him till a little bit later, I think March, to finally unravel that whole selling the farm. But then his business really started to accelerate. I'm not suggesting that you should quit your full-time job. If you need the money, obviously continue to do that. But I think it's a fantastic story of someone who, you know, came into this, had to work two things, and then eventually was able to move to full-time brokering. One of the other cool things about Brandon's story is, is that so he basically funded his first 10 mortgages and it took him until May to do that. And then it took him 126 days to do his next 100,000 in commission. One of the unique things about our brokerage is once somebody is a pro level, so Brandon's not a pro level, we have a 85-15 split with a cap commission, which means once you get past $100,000 on that 12 month period, you pay no commission split. So it took him 126 days to get to 100% commission, which is super cool. Guys like, you know, less than a year in, he's already at 100% commission and he's made over $100,000 in the last 126 days and his business is continuing to go. Pretty fantastic. So before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform. Very easy for borrowers to use. It's got some intelligent features built in. As they're filling out the app, it's starting to figure out what documents they need. Second thing it does is when an application comes in, you can go and take that and search Lender Spotlight. And Lender Spotlight has all the rates, guidelines for all the different lenders. When you choose a lender and you go to hit the submit, it actually shows you, hey, don't forget, these are the policies for this lender so that you don't you know, waste time sending a file where it shouldn't go. And then finally, it has smart submission notes, so it pulls the key data from that application, puts them in the notes. Because if you've seen some of the systems the lenders work on, they're not as pretty and slick as what we often get to work on. And so make it easy for them, make it easy for them to say yes. Check it out, lendescom slash Finmo, and uh, check out this conversation with Brandon. Hey, Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott, thanks for having me. Good to be back. Hey, so tell me a little bit about yourself and your business. Yeah, so um, mortgage agent working out of Milton, Ontario. I started last fall and started part-time, still farming full-time. And then last spring, I transitioned full-time into mortgages, sold the farm pieces off, and yeah, rocking and rolling now. When did you start? What was the date that you actually started? I think it was September 22nd, my license came in and going off memory if memory serves me correctly. And then just out of curiosity, how long did it take for you to decide to pull the trigger to go from part-time to full-time? I decided by December of that year, I had just kind of sat and said, what does the next 10 years look like if I farm? And what does it look like if I 
pour myself into this new business? And the answer was pretty clear at that point. So I decided then, but there was a bit of logistics of selling off tools and clients. Yeah, we chatted with that that nature about like, come up with a plan. How do I, you know, transition well? And you had clients and stuff that were relying on you in the farm business. So, yeah. um, So December, and then how long till you actually unwound that and you were like, you know, I'm out, peace. You know, how long did that take? Yeah, I think it was end of February, early March. I had like done my last delivery and was off to the races. So what was the difference started to follow up on this? I think there's a lot of people out there right now that are part-time and they're like, when I'm going to ask you some questions, like this is, wasn't my intent on this conversation, but since you just went through it, it's actually really useful for people. And what kind of hours are you working in your farm versus your mortgage business up until you were able to like hand it off? Yeah. So I track everything on toggle. So I have a pretty Mm. clear numbers there. I love that. Uh, the farm on any given week, because it was partial field, and then the main business was vertical, though, which is year round. So it was about 50 to 60 hours a week. So once that was gone, mortgage wise, I just kind of went into that with that same mindset of like, I need to do X amount of hours. But at the same time, now I've also kind of found my sweet spot and rhythm there as well. Okay, so you were doing 50 to 60 hours a week of farming plus trying to build a mortgage business. Yeah, And then were there certain milestones you had in your mind before you were like, okay, I'm actually, now is the time or were you like, what went into that decision? I think it was a combination of different factors. Like I was watching all my costs for seeds and gas and everything like start skyrocketing. And I couldn't raise my prices fast enough to offset that. So I was kind of seeing like, okay, if I work 50 hours a week and walk away with 20 grand like that's not worth it like this i might as well be at mcdonald's and uh at the same time i had started funding a few mortgages and i was like holy crap like there's a massive opportunity here and it's an opportunity to not only just earn more money but also like spend more time with my daughter and do more of the activities i want to do travel all the upside pieces that weren't there when you have to constantly be watering a crop two times a day and, you know, harvesting several times a week, those kind of things. Right. Okay. So it wasn't just the one thing I was just looking at your date. So it looks like you 10th file funded on May 6th. So from September 22nd to May 6th, and then from there, May 6th till, do you remember when you went to hundred percent commission? Cause with us, when you get hundred K in commission, you go, yeah. you slip to hundred percent split. How long did that take? Um, I think it was last pay period or the period before. So September, a week from tomorrow. September 9th kind of thing. I think I crossed that threshold. 126 days. Yeah. So so. basically the first 10 is the hardest as you probably agree to that, right? The first 10 is like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. And then you got to 100K in 126 days, which is flipping amazing, dude. And so did you have any like connections? Like, you know, did your farm business give you access to real estate agents or, you know, builders or any of that kind of thing? No, I just uh, honestly just connected. I followed the program. I just connected with realtors and did my presentation, did some follow-up, stayed in touch with everyone and just built it organically from there. And then it's really been those kind of like core realtors who I work really well with just now fueling the business. Where, so where does your business come from right now? Like where, if you look at the, you know, that first hundred K you did, where did that come from? I would say a grand of it would be like, just striking up conversations and then the other 99 all realtors so so yeah it's, it's largely all realtor based right i got 99 problems or no i don't know how to, i can't even figure out how to do something with that there's something there if i had more creativity 
Okay, so what are kind of some of the things that you've learned now? And like it's been, we're coming up to a year here pretty quick, actually. So you're going to be at your first year in like, you know, seven days or a week today. Yeah, a week you're going to be. So looking back now, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in that first year? I think key takeaways for me was just really in the beginning, it's a lot like drinking from a fire hose. Like there's so much you're learning and there's so much you're trying to pull off at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're sticking your fork in one plate and trying to bite and you're never actually getting anything of substance out of it. And then, so I really pared it down and said, okay, if I could focus on one thing, what would that be? And just do that one thing over and over again until I got very good at it and just rinse and repeat. So for me, my days pretty much all are cookie cutter and now it's school's back in. So I get up, I have breakfast with my daughter. I walk her to school. I do my initial like review and update with clients. And then I just start reaching out to realtors in my immediate database. And then from there, work on my files. And if I have that extra hour, I'll just start making calls again. So it's more so just like the consistency over and over again was the key thing to not try to add something new to it, like this shiny object thing. Just keep doing what's working over and over again. That's when it comes back to your farming mentality. You don't go every day, how can I be creative with this farm? It's like, no, you water. You, you know, fertilize, weed, and repeat. Exactly. Right. And it's a lot of the same thing. Like you plant a seed and like, you know, 50 to 120 days later, you're going to harvest. It's a lot like networking or like meeting realtors or even working with clients. Like you have to have that initial touch point. And then there's the upkeep, the watering, the weeding, fertilizing, whatever that and might be. Rid of the, oh, this is a bad one. You know, maybe we're not <laughs> this the bad, Yeah, yeah. You're waiting exactly. You got to go. Thinning the crops and then you hopefully have a harvest and, just like farming, not everything you plant comes up. Like I, <laughs> I lost more than my fair share of crops too. So just having that mindset of constantly putting things out there and like keep trying to have it for the return down the line, I think is there's right. a lot of comparisons. And, and the thing is, really a successful mortgage business looks a lot like Groundhog Day. You know, it's like yeah. you wake up, same song on the radio, you go to work, you do the same things. And I've heard it said before, what you want is you want a boring business and exciting life because the business to work you can't be doing 50 different things. You can't be like, I'm going to try this and this and this because it never works. You just don't get any, you know, be like if every other week you dug up the things you planted and planted new stuff or just plant it beside it and go, let's see, let's race and see which one does better. Yeah. You know, you, and next thing you know, it's a, just a catastrophe. So, but yeah, that's very interesting. Okay. So what other sort of advice would you give yourself now, you know, one year in or just about one year to your one week self? I would say one week self, I would not focus on trying to learn a bunch of different lenders and programs. I would pick kind of your go-to like a lender, like your go-to bank, your go-to monoline, and then an alternative option. And just like really have the knowledge of those products. And then from there, just focus on, you know, your scripting and making your calls, practicing with other agents, your family, whatever it might be, just getting kind of dialed into that language. A lot like what Steve was saying And really focusing on that, like I started taking a lot of notes and saying, okay, well, in the call, this went well, or I said this and like totally lost the client. You could tell and just kind of noticing those things. Once I focused on that, my results got so much better. You basically started to observe yourself and you coached yourself in a way by just taking notes and going, okay, what worked, what didn't. And I think that's a good practice in any case. It's just like, sometimes I'll find you'll do something on a call. Afterwards, like, that was so good. And then other times you were like, oh, that was not good. That didn't work. And then you just try and like you know, adjust and improve. And that's interesting. So what's something recently that maybe an adjustment you've made to your discovery call that you found was helpful for you? I'm curious. 
or it doesn't have to be discovery um, call, but I'm thinking about like, because again, I know you're observing all these things. So what's an area that you're like, ah, I'm going to make this a little tweak and I feel like it's working better. Yeah, I found that sometimes things would flow and the client would be at the point where they're ready to do the application. And I don't know why I was just like kept talking. And I felt like sometimes I was overselling myself. And mm-hmm. now I get them to a point where it's like, okay, hey, we're ready to roll on the application. I just stop. And I'm just like, okay, hey, shut up, Brandon. Let them take the next step and then go from there. You don't have to keep adding on to the situation. Yeah, I've done that too. It's like, oh, and plus we do, and we do this, and then yeah. you just keep them like, okay, I was in and now I'm out because you sound like you're really trying too hard. And now I'm like, it creates this like vibe in the back of your head. So you can actually oversell, right? Where yeah. they're in, just assume they're in and move on to the next step. And if yeah. there's resistance, then you can stop and say, you know, what's up, right? For uh, sure. And I think that was just like a case. Like I really enjoy working with the clients and like work on the file. So I was getting kind of like stoked myself and then like got to dial that energy back a bit. So Right, right. Okay, that's good. Okay, so you probably learned a lot in the last year, but sort of you got more files on the go, more pre-approvals. So what kind of tools or strategies are you using to keep track of like where things are at so you don't forget? And like most of us right now, there's more pre-approvals that are kind of sitting there. They're going to become live deals at some point. So what are you doing in order to kind of manage that? Yeah, so I'm pretty old school. I have a really basic spreadsheet. And it just has like column that goes like cold, warm, pre-approved, file submitted, conditions, broker complete. And I just, a lead comes in and I put their name there with a date stamp behind it. And I just drag them across as they move. So visually, I can look at it and I say, okay, I haven't circled back with this person in 40 days or whatever. Shoot them a quick text or give them a call. Or if it's someone sitting in the conditions section, I just know, like, loop back with them on outstanding conditions. So it's just very visual. Put it up on the one screen. You can see everyone's name there. I find it works for me. I'm not screwing around with, like, trying to set up a CRM or something like that because it's just not my style. So, yeah, it's working. So. Yeah, and that's all that matters. I mean, like, well, Jim Trulucas does, you know, 700 mortgages a year with a spreadsheet. And you can use sophisticated tools, but it's not necessary, right? Yeah. To build a big business. And so what's something that you learned about lenders or underwriting that you were like, oh, if you could give yourself one piece of underwriting advice, you said before you pick a few lenders and go deep rather than broad. But mm-hmm. other than that, what other things would you give yourself advice on when it comes to the lender stuff? I think there is like a big value you know, at the beginning, and this was prior to you telling me like that sticker thing and emphasizing like the amount of contact with underwriters, there's a really high value on having that initial document submission be nearly broker complete, because then mm-hmm. when you need to ask for an exception or something like that, they're more willing to work with you. Also to just sometimes if you're banging your head against the wall, trying to satisfy an underwriter, just to call them, like, and just talk mm-hmm. it through. I find like that's been the biggest thing. Whereas like in the beginning, I was kind of nervous because I didn't have the experience level of talking to them. I kind of was like, don't want to pick yeah, up. Yeah, they're like, they're like, going, the the like going to the principal's <laughs> office. It's like, oh, you know, realizing yeah. they're just trying to do their job too. And so if you can think about how do I, like you said, more complete your application is and stuff. If you need a favor, they'll do it. If it's a catastrophe, they're going to be like, oh, you know, they'll be frustrated with you and you're not going to get as many exceptions. So or they'll just be harder. You said the red dot thing. So maybe explain that because I've talked to her before, but in case somebody's listening, like, oh, what are you talking about red dot thing? How is your understanding of it? Yeah. So the red dot thing is like, if you submit a file and you get your condition. So let's just say condition is T or T4s, letter of employment, pay stub, uh, 90 day bank statement, whatever it might be. And every time I email you one document at a time and you put a dot on the folder 
And by the end of it, by the time we go back and forth, there's like 20 dots there where it's not efficient. So you want to yeah. limit the amount of dots. So if I submit my file and let's say it's an email like Strive, I email you all my documents right away. And then you say, okay, that's one dot. And we checked off all these conditions. The other thing they might ask for, you might finish a file with two dots versus right. 20 plus the other way. Right. Interesting. It'd be cool if there's a way for your software to measure like if there was an internal way to measure, you know, you have like a dot. I know. So one of the things we started doing is we're looking at how effective people are at compliance packages or like basically is it complete when they're done? And so yeah. we started um, streaks. And the idea is that kind of like in Snapchat, people want to keep their streaks going. So I think you have to like 11 in a row now. Like, and it's like back, remember that Mortal Kombat game, flawless victory. I feel like we should be like, that sound should go off every time there's a flawless file. Like, flawless victory and it's like 11 and then other people are like dang i want to catch brandon you know i want to like so obviously you're getting or were you always like good with paperwork and stuff or is this something no. you've learned no it's um, a proverbial shit show before so right so uh, what changed that because that feels like a nature thing in some ways because how did that change for you i think that a lot of it i would attribute to jerry just busting my balls on every time i had like uploaded it I throw a document to the portal and then like not put it on Finmo and you know just in the beginning whatever and he's like you just put it in Finmo first and then put it to the portal like if you just change your order you're going to always have compliant files and you're going to get paid on time and I think just shifting the way I thought about it like okay if I don't do this right it's going to hold back me getting paid you know like yeah. what's in it for me and so that was great now i live in fear of losing my compliance streak so then yeah you're like appreciate that compliance. <laughs> that's the thing so like you know it's interesting process does matter so i remember back in when the atm machine first came out i'm older than you so maybe 10 years older than you i don't know how old you are but and the atm machines were this new thing and i was like oh you don't have to go to the bank to get money cool but the way it used to work is you would put your card and you put in your pin they would give you the cash and then they would give you the card well sure enough 16 year olds, I would leave. I got my cash. I'm gone. I wouldn't even wait for the card and the card would sit in the machine and then the machine would actually suck the card in and be like, okay, beep, beep. Like after a minute, it's like, they're not there. And then you'd have to go into the bank like an idiot and get the card. And literally it was like all these teenage guys lined up getting their debit cards back. And so they just said, wait a second, let's give them back the card first and then the cash. And now you yeah. can't do it. Right. Cause like there was a pain for them too. Cause they have to go in the machine, take the card out, come in, give me IDs, your card. Who does this belong to? And then they're like, wait a second, change the order. And now, like when I would go to TD just the other day, I always laugh when this happens. I'm like, I take my money out and it's like, okay, you want to do anything else? He said, no, boom, card comes back first. And then the cash, I probably still would drive away with the card. Like, 100%. I just know my person, my ADD, be like, oh, I got my money. And then yeah. damn it, I left the card behind again. So you got anyway. the reward already. <laughs> yeah, you need to do it in the other order. And so in a way, by you doing the, anybody at our company who wants their compliance streak to go up, listen to what Brandon's doing do the Venmo first, that's where we grab our compliance stocks and then submit it. And then it'll always be there and you won't have to go worry about looking for it. So yeah, you just change the order. That's so brilliant. Okay. So in terms of like, what has been the most stressful part of this for you in the first, what's been the like part that you found stressful? I think stress level would be more so from like a file to file basis. Like some of those alternative lending e-files where you're like, this is just complicated and it gets stressful. And when people don't put financing conditions on, even if you tell them to, and then, you know, they're kind of like created a scenario and really you shouldn't get stressed from a situation they've created for themselves, but 
I want to maintain it's, those realtor yeah, relationships. Yeah, you still want to help them out, right? But it still kind of becomes your problem to some degree, you know? Yeah. It's not your fault, but it's your problem. I heard once Boris Bozik said this. So it's not your fault that this person wanted to go do this, but it becomes your problem to try and solve it. I was a paramedic for nine years and I actually found being a mortgage broker more stressful, which is funny. Like being a paramedic wasn't that stressful most of the time, but people freaking about their money. Like I found that to be way more stressful. And so it's interesting. Okay, I think it's yeah. way less stress than farming though. It's so much, oh, so much true. more peaceful, man. <laughs> what does your family think of like this whole, like, you know, your wife and stuff? What does she think about this new career path? And and when you said you're doing this, was she like, yeah, all in, this is awesome? Or was she like, I don't know, Brandon, is this a good idea? Like, what was her sort of initial thoughts? And then what does she think now? Yeah, so in our house, I kind of like bounced around a few like consulting and farming. So like just different things. So I think in the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, no, there's another squirrel you're chasing. But then it became clear that like it was going well and I was doing good at it. And then it's just been all positivity from there. The only one who doesn't like it is my daughter hates it. So um, she doesn't like it. She's like hanging out. Yeah. And she liked hanging out at the farm. Like we had like flowers and stuff so she could cut herself a little bouquet. Now she calls me a boring mortgager now. Oh, that's how old is she? (laughs) She just turned five. Right. Oh, that's cute. She's going to be in school soon. So then, or maybe she's in school now. She's in school now. Yeah. So before school, yeah, of course, like dad was fun. We hung out in the field, get dirty, dig a hole. Now it's like, yeah. what is dad doing? He's on the phone all the time. And, you know, so now she's in school. So it's probably a little different, but that's really cute. Actually, a boring mortgager. <laughs> is there any other sort of advice you would want to give if somebody's listening and they're like new and they're thinking, oh my gosh, like, you know, what advice would you give somebody who's looking at this as a career right now? I would say just pair back on like the amount of things you're going to try to do. Like you don't need to be the star of TikTok, Instagram, cold calling, like everything at once, just like focus on the one thing that's actually moving the needle for you, whatever it might be. And then just go all in on that right away. Cause there's so much to learn and do that you can kind of wear yourself out trying to be everything. Right. That's really good. Who's a lender. And we don't usually do lender shout outs, but like what the heck, yeah. who's a lender that you've really enjoyed working with? I'll do two. I love strive. So shout out to Tiffany and Danny there and also RMG. So Hussein right. and RMG has been huge. So yeah. It's interesting to me how, like, I don't think people realize, I mean, if you've been in the business for a while, but underwriting is not one plus one is two. If it was that simple, they would use AI. You would not be talking to a human. It'd be done by software and they'd say approved, not approved. But there's some nuance and some gray, there's some art to it. And the relationship with the underwriter does matter, right? Like, yeah. especially since a lot of the lenders will have very similar products and pricing for us as brokers when we access them. And it becomes down to, that relationship and stuff. So what is specifically is about those that you value in those relationships? I think number one is just speed for when I have a question and like want to run a scenario by them. Both those parties are very quick to answer and also like explain things. If you're like, this doesn't quite make sense or can you frame it in a different way? They're great at that. And also just like working with you versus sometimes you'll submit a file to another lender and they pick at something like a thread on a sweater and it just all comes apart. Whereas like I find with them, it's more so like, okay, explain how you came to that scenario. And then they work with that. It's almost like you're going to court in a way. And then you got to justify your case. Why I'm using X, Y, Z versus whatever. And they're more reasonable in it. So. Yeah. And they're open to having the conversation. Whereas other people are like decline doesn't work. You know what I mean? So the fact that they're like willing to take the time to pick up the phone or send you a quick email and chat through it, 
I, yeah. I just appreciate it, especially in the early year, like kind of time of learning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. Well, hey man, it's awesome to get to know you a little bit. Where can people find you online? Best way is probably Instagram. It's a mortgage with love, or you can also connect with me on LinkedIn as well if you'd like. Right, a mortgage with love, and you can get flowers and a mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, okay, I got one last farming question. What was the most profitable thing to grow as a farmer? You can't say weed. <laughs> Maybe you grew flowers, unless it's true. What's the most profitable crop? Profit. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, so I grew microgreens, which are very profitable. So those can. What is what is that like? It's a, the baby version of an adult plant from planting to harvest is a 10 day cycle. Oh, okay. Um, some of those I sold for like $40 a pound. Uh, yeah. So that was very profitable, but then like the inputs and labor costs was kind of high. So I would say maybe flowers, like cut flowers was pretty good. Right. Cut flowers because you just plant them and water them, right? You plant them and a lot of them, the more you cut them, the more they grow. So it's kind of like. It's awesome. Right. And it's visually draws people in. So you're not trying to like sell like health benefits or anything like that. It's just like, yeah, I like it because it's pretty. Plus it can get you out of the doghouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, depending on, not, it doesn't, not always, it doesn't always work. Sometimes I bring the wrong flowers. I hate these type. I'm like, oh shoot. Right. I forgot. So then it can backfire if you don't get the right. When flowers. you spend all your time on a farm, bringing something back from the farm doesn't usually. Uh, yeah, no, that's it wouldn't work for you. For me, it would work, but it wouldn't work yeah. for you. She'd be like, I don't care what your dang flowers. Like, go to the bakery. Sick, and sick of those flowers. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, Brandon. Thanks for chatting with me, brother. All right. Thanks, Scott. Have a good one, man. All right. Thanks again for listening to this episode. And hopefully you're inspired. I love the story, his work ethic, the whole, you know, every day, get up, do the same activities. You don't need to be doing 15 different things to build a mortgage business. There's only a few things that really move the needle and do those things. I think that's a good reminder for all of us to stay focused on that and be like a farmer. So anyway, I think that's fantastic. If you want to find out how we help Brandon do this with his business, go to rookie to rockstar.ca. You can check out a free webinar we have where you can learn about how we help people build a referral-based business faster than anywhere else. Check it out. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and I will see you on the next show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.